This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We're going to kick off London Live right now, finding out what it's actually like to have one of these tests from someone who just had a COVID-19 test. Well, who have I brought into my house? Well, don't worry. No, it's not like that. It's someone who's been living here all along. My daughter Kylie is joining me on a rather large couch. This is a couch that we used to use that I now do this show from every day. We used to use to watch movies when the kids were younger in a different part of the house. And it sleeps four. When the, when the kids were small enough, we used to all sleep on this couch having movie nights. Kylie, I can't even remember how many movies or which movies we watched. I remember I tried to get you guys to watch Star Wars one time, the original, and it was really, really slow. And we had to switch to something cartoony in a hurry. But other than that, no, this, this couch has many good memories and, uh, and my wife, Kirsta, keeps threatening that one day we'll get a bin, and this will be one of the first things in it, because it, uh, it's experienced a lot of spills in its time. But, Kylie, we want to talk about getting a COVID-19 test. Kylie was working at a hospital and was working in everything from screening to human resources and was interacting with a lot of people. So what did you decide when you moved from that job to a job you're going to be taking now with regard to getting a test was it something that that you felt you you wanted to do needed to do yeah so i think the biggest thing that i was looking into was i was moving from a corporate side of the hospital into a position that's actually called portering so i was moving a lot of patients all around the hospital and of course i was in the appropriate ppe but i was seeing a lot of different people all the time and i now just accepted a different position that allows me to work from home and the fact that i would be interacting at home a lot more with you guys i wanted to make sure that i was negative and that was ultimately why i got the test well thank you for that on on behalf of someone who also lives in the house so let's kind of take us through how you do this in order to get a test what did you have to do yeah so i was an essential healthcare worker at the time so i was able to get the test without having any symptoms so the first thing that i did was go on to a website so it's the public health websites you can look and see what testing centers are closest to you so the i looked at that called the closest testing center which was the hospital i was working at made sure that i was okay to get a test they asked me about my symptoms i said i didn't have any and then they asked if i was an essential healthcare worker and i said i was and then they identified that i was a healthcare worker at the hospital they asked if i was referred by occupational health i was not but they still allowed me to get the test just because i needed one at the time okay you get a time for your test You go to the testing area in the hospital, and this is the part everybody wonders about. What happens there? Yeah, so they gave me a time, and it was on a Sunday. So I didn't expect too many people to be at the testing center. And ultimately what you do, you walk in, and uh, I always like to be early, but uh, that actually did help because you have to go in, uh, sanitize your hands as soon as you get into the testing center, which is actually a different part of the hospital, so it's completely closed off from anything else. You want to grab a mask as soon as you get in there. Don't bring any reusable masks because you'll have to take those off. Uh, You put on one from the actual hospital, so make sure you sanitize your hands again then I was in a waiting room for about two seconds before a nurse came by and uh, took me into a separate room I didn't have to show my health card or anything because it is a free test so she asked me a couple questions matched up my address and I think that was initially to make sure that I could get my results 
And then after that, she was like, okay, uh, the other nurse has to be right with you. So I went back to that waiting room for another two seconds and then was swiftly taken away into a separate room. Um, there were two separate nurses there helping me out, which was awesome. Uh, all geared up in full PPE as they would be and asked me if I had any symptoms. Uh, then the weirdest thing is that there's actually one single chair in this room and if you sit down in it you look directly and it's like look here there's this weird x on the wall and i'm like hmm it's kind of interesting that there'd be a, a place to look but you have to actually have your body situated in a certain position in order to make sure the test goes well so yeah they sit you down in your chair you have to put your back right uh, against the back of the chair look in that spot and then you see that big swab come out and I was asking the nurse I was like you know what like is this gonna be a fun time because I think the biggest thing that helped me out was the fact that I did not look at any videos any pictures anything like I knew that this test did not feel good but I did not want to watch other people take it before I did so he's like yep it, it's pretty miserable I'm like oh fantastic I'm really looking forward to this in the next 30 seconds <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you sit back at the back of the chair. They're fantastic, right? Like, they do this all the time. So, um, he basically, like, he prepped me. He's like, you know what? It's not going to be good. It's going to take about three seconds. And I initially thought it was going to go in both nostrils. And I heard the worst part is the fact that you actually know what it's going to feel like for the second nostril. So, I was just kind of prepping myself here. And you feel something go into your nose. And I always, as I'm explaining to people, if you put the, your tongue to the roof of your mouth and you kind of match up where the, your nose enters your mouth, that's where you feel it. But it honestly, I didn't think it was that bad. Like, it's a lot of hype behind it, I think, that makes you nervous for it. And when the swab is going in, obviously, it feels like someone's scratching the back of that kind of connection between the nose and the mouth. And that does not feel good. It really does not feel good. It feels like a pretty immense scratch to the back there. But then it's only about a second, and he's like, yep, you're done. So it's only the one nostril. It lasts about a second. And I think the worst part of it all is the fact that you're disoriented. Like, that's a feeling that the number of videos and pictures and people saying that it doesn't feel good to prep yourself... It just it's just a weird feeling more than anything. It's like because it's not part really... of your face has kind of been scraped on the inside. Yeah. Your body doesn't know what's going on. Not a normal place for anything no, to touch. No, no. And I feel like, yeah, there's just a weird feeling. And it, it doesn't really hurt after, but definitely it's felt like something has been back there. And, yeah, I thought that was the, the weirdest part. And they're like, okay, yeah, you're all good. They, they hand you a piece of paper. And at that point, like, my face was watering. I was like, oh, because you just don't know what's going on, right? Like, you're just disoriented, so... I'm glad they gave you that piece of paper because anything that they were saying to me in those next 10 seconds, I wasn't really hearing, <laughs> trying to figure out what was going on. But yeah, they were fantastic. And after that, like sanitize on your way out. And then I was good to go. And then you go home and you wait for your results, which you would think, oh, how long is this going to take? How long did it take? Yeah, it was actually fantastic. It was 24 hours. And so. you just went where to find them? Yeah, so they give you a piece of paper as soon as you leave the testing center, and it gives you all the information there. So they said the test results would be in the next 24 to 48 hours after your test, and I decided 24 hours later, I'd be like, okay, might as well check and see if they're there. There's a link. You type that in, type in your name, your address, and your healthcare number then, and it'll pop up. So as soon as the results are there, mine were there, and thankfully they were negative, but it was a super linear process, really easy to do, and yeah, I had no problems whatsoever. 
Okay. I don't know if it's made us want to go and get a test, but I think I think this helps out. So it it wasn't necessarily as as horrifying as it seems. Remember, hype that can do a lot of stuff. So no, I this this has been this has been educational for me. I guess we haven't we live in the same house. We haven't had an in depth conversation about this test. It was just oh, you have negative results. Okay, all right, good. And we've been kind of going about our business. So. Yeah, I feel better. Thank you for making me feel better. Yeah, I'm glad. And it's very important to get these tests. And worst case scenario, it's going to feel weird for about an hour after, and then you're done. So it's better to know that everything's okay rather than kind of guess and, oh, maybe I shouldn't get a test. It's better to know, get confirmed, and then if you are positive, then you can do that contact tracing and figure out if you have been exposed to other people. So for the safety of others, it's okay. It's only a second. You can get it done. Well said. Kai, thank you. That's my daughter Kylie from down here on the couch that we used to use to watch movies and now uh, is a place where we host a three-hour radio show called London Live each and every day. Let's head to the United States right now because we have an opportunity to talk with Paul Violas, who is a CBS News security consultant and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. Paul, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Always a pleasure, Mike. Paul, maybe because for a while we had complete focus on your country, even in this country, and especially in our province right now, some of that focus has turned to other things. We're using the word reopening for the first time, so it's taken some attention away. Can you help us to get caught up on at least what this week has been like from a protest standpoint and and from an overall feeling standpoint in the U.S.? Sure, Mike. I can tell you that in my 40 years of government service, I have never seen anything like this. And, and that's, that's a pretty tall statement. So to give you kind of the recap here, um, I think it was about maybe 10 days ago, maybe or a little bit more. But the, the incident that took place um, that took a person's life in, in Minneapolis was at the result of just the worst example of police work you could ever imagine. Uh, to say excessive force would be a, a gross understatement, uh, which... Uh, cost this man his life and also now has the the primary officer who had placed the knee to the back of this man's neck um, with being charged with murders in the second degree and, and the other three officers with aiding and abetting that murder. Um, riots, protests started as, as subsequent to that. And what I found to be not just disgusting um, and, and humiliating on the part of our entire country um, but I would say animals, animals' behavior, but animals wouldn't even do this. The, the protests, which we all celebrate because we have the right to, for freedom of speech, and we should, but were hijacked by um, the, the, the most despicable type of human beings that rioted uh, with no intention of anything other than to set the country on fire and to destroy. From there, I would say the, the most gross, uh, the, the most blatant lack of leadership around our entire country, from chief and sheriff to mayors and city councils and county commissions about how to handle this, and uh, resulting in the deployment of uh, not just, well, not re- resulting in the death of numerous police officers and countless injured, uh, property damage, you know, in the billions, and, 
you know, now we're, we had to deploy the National Guard and roll tanks down Main Street USA in order to get order. So where we sit now is we, we look at the just testable form of public government that we have as, as divided as it is trying to politicize the need to reform um, policing in the United States and, and not making uh, this a political piece. So unfortunately, I would say that, and again, 40 years of experience, I've never seen us so divided, uh, and it's toxic, to say the very least. That better give you a, a brief you know, goal line to goal line. We're talking with Paul Viola from CBS News, and we're looking at kind of the, the recap of what has been taking place in the United States. Uh, Paul, in those years, you have seen other incidents that have resulted in protests, in some ways in riots. Eventually, we have seen the quieting down of some of those demonstrations, and then not much has changed. What do you anticipate seeing this time? Well, the, the interesting part about that, Mike, it's a very poignant question. The interesting part about that is, remember, in the United States, in, in our system of jurisprudence, you have to be a defendant, a criminal defendant has to be proven, that case against that defendant has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So now you've got two different medical examiners that have conducted their, their medical review of the deceased, and they're not on the same page. So if information comes out that's going to be expressed during that trial that shows that there were other contributing factors to the death, and they can't prove that intentional murder, second degree, then I can't even imagine what this country is going to look like at that point. Uh, where we are right now is unfortunate, but we're not any closer to positive communications than we were. Uh, the ludicrous and the most ridiculous type of public policy recommendations of defunding police, uh, which quite frankly, is going to lead to anarchy. And, and that's not a, you know, a, trying to be a pessimist. I'm just a realist, and I have to tell you, Mike, that's exactly what it's going to lead to because uh, if, if they start, which it looks like they're going to, start cutting police budgets and reducing police, um, think about making that emergency call to the police when someone's breaking in your house and the 911 operator says, uh, we're sorry, we don't have any units available, you know, stay safe. That's where we're headed. Paul, thank you so much for the update. I'm sure we'll talk again. We really appreciate your insight on this. Mike, it's entirely my pleasure. Anything I can do, have a wonderful day. That's Paul Violas, CBS News security consultant, renowned global security and law enforcement expert. As he says, he's been following all of this for 40 years. And you just heard him concerned about anarchy concerned about what these requests to defund police could lead to what may happen once we see trials begin for certainly the officer that has been charged with second degree murder officer chauvin um yeah there, there is a lot still left to play out in this and we'll watch it for you when i say reopening you say what usually one of two things as we move toward phase two in many parts of the province you either say yay or you may say uh-oh 
And we'll get to both of those reactions in just a moment. But we want to talk about something that is off there in the I hope this happens very soon in that there can be events again at some of our favorite venues. And one of our favorite venues, well, that would be Budweiser Gardens. Sir Elton John had not come to London before Budweiser Gardens. Metallica, Shania Twain, Memorial Cups, World Figure Skating Championships. It's been amazing to see what Budweiser Gardens has brought to this city. And we all love to head there and take in everything from Paw Patrol to hockey and concerts. But right now we know we can't. But there are discussions going on about, okay, what could it look like if the go-ahead is given from health departments that we can go? What would it look like? Well, joining us right now is the general manager of Budweiser Gardens, Mr. Brian Ohl. Brian, how you doing? Um, it's going well, as well as can be expected. Um, obviously, we're not part of the, the second phase in Ontario, but uh, we're hopeful that we'll get uh, get our chance here soon. In the meantime, I'm sure you're having all kinds of discussions with people from all kinds of places about, okay, if that reopening does come, what sorts of things have to happen? What do you wind up talking about in those discussions? Well, to be honest, Mike, a lot of what we talk about is all speculation because we, you know, we don't know. Um, you know, we're obviously not, not opening in the, in the next month or two months. Um, and, uh, a lot of things have to happen. Um, obviously the province has to, you know, give the blessing to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's talk about, you know, you know, having, there's social distancing, there's talk about, uh, wearing masks. I, you know, we kind of look at the logistics and, um, you know, we, we, think and we we're hopeful and we're um that when we do get a chance to open that uh it'll be with uh um reduced social distancing and and masks um that's kind of what we're we're thinking and hoping but uh you know we're like everybody else we don't know yeah and it all kind of depends on decisions being made and and health being that top priority doesn't it that that is that is correct um you know i i have to be honest that there's a lot of people in in Ontario, a lot of businesses in Ontario like ours that are kind of looking at uh, seeing what the ramifications are of of having ten thousand people uh, protest in London. Were were they? I think most of the people were wearing masks and stuff like that. And you know, in the next week or so, hopefully that'll give us an indication of of uh, you know large gatherings because certainly ten thousand people is a large gathering. Yeah. I mean, when when you're looking at layouts and things like that, you talk about social distancing and being apart from everybody. The concourses are nice and wide, but you think about smaller venues even than Budweiser Gardens. If, if you reduce capacity, all of a sudden paying for an actual event must be tough. Yeah, uh, you know, the you know, I hear the reduced capacity and, and uh, um, you know, to do a concert where we have you know, only 25% of the people in the building, it, 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 the economics don't, don't make sense. Um, you know, much less, you know, when you look at if you have to maintain six feet distance, if we've got three people waiting in the washrooms, that's 18 feet that, um, got a span somewhere in the concourse. And as you say, we have wide concourses, but 
they're not that wide, you know, that we can accommodate that. So that's, you know, I think that's one of the things that people are are wrestling with in terms of, uh, you know, when when we'll be able to reopen. Um, like I say, if if we can get get by with masks and some other precautionary uh, um, things, and that would be probably the best solution. Brian all joining us, General Manager of Budweiser Gardens, and, and it's all those little details you don't think about. Yeah, if you're in a washroom and there are three people in that washroom, how do you stay distanced depending on the size of the washroom? You can picture any washroom anywhere for that kind of thing. Or if you are heading up the aisles, I mean, when something is over... Brian, everybody leaves at the same time. It's not like you say, well, I'm just going to continue. These seats are very comfortable. I'm going to continue sitting here for the next 45 minutes until everybody else has left. That doesn't happen. Yeah, Mike, it's not not really the the issue isn't in the washroom. It's waiting outside the washroom to get in and what kind of impact that has on the concourse. Um, And then you're absolutely right in terms of, you know, you know, you're gonna have assigned leave times for people when the sh- when the event's over. It just there's a lot of logistics that uh, don't make a lot of sense. Um, but uh, you know, we're trying to work through a, a bunch of things to try to make it uh, when we do get the call that we'll make it safe for people. Fantastic. Well, Brian, we we appreciate the discussion and the update on all of this. Please stay safe and hopefully. With the blessing of of the health unit and who knows what else, science perhaps, we can have this going and and be a little bit back to that new normal sometime soon. Yeah, well, we're you know it's it's interesting to note that the Quebec uh, League is is uh, uh, indicated they're going to start up in October, and that that gives me hope that if they're doing that, then uh, we'll we'll see some stuff in the fall here, hopefully. Let's hope so. And they have a lot of smaller venues as well. So, right. yeah, here's here's opening. I, I, I love the optimism. Brian, thank you again. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you. Talk to you later. That's yeah, Brian Ohl, General Manager of Budweiser Gardens. But you you had it spelled out perfectly there by Brian. Right now, you can't look and say, okay, this is all going to work. And these are some of the concerns I have with regard to what's about to happen with restaurant patios. And I'm probably overreacting because my wife's in the industry and my son's in the industry. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried for them. So maybe I have a little more bias. But I, I just, I want people to, to behave. Is that, is that a proper way to say it? The virus hasn't changed, and yet we're all saying go, and everything seems to be very vague. In fact, there was something circulating on Facebook last night that I read. I don't know where it came from. I know who circulated it, but I I don't know exactly where it came from first off. But I want to read through those things in a moment to give perspective on that, because as Brian says, everybody leaves at the same time washroom lineups are something to be concerned with if we're looking at venues having proper spacing guaranteeing that proper spacing we don't know enough about the virus to be able to say okay masks and a temperature check at the front door and you're good we can't say that yet but we are allowing people to sit on patios this weekend you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three 